0: Hello everyone. We're beginning a new series this morning titled, Becoming Great. It's actually based on the words of Jesus from Mark 10 43-45, which we'll get to in just a few minutes. But first, let me ask you a question. What does it take to become great? If, If you are thinking about being great at anything, what does it take to be great? Now for some, I get it. I get it. The word great it just doesn't fit into our self vocabulary it's not something we desire to become great it's just not who we are we like our lives the way they are and, and, and becoming great it's just man it just takes a lot of dedication it takes a lot of hard work does it not and if one desires greatness one must spend a significant amount of time developing their craft to become special, to actually become awesome, to stand out. Actually, back in 2008, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book titled Outliers. Yeah, it was a bestseller. And his premise in the book was that it takes 10,000 hours of intense practice to achieve excellence, to be top notch at the mastery of complex skills. Now, this just wasn't any type of practice, but deliberate practice. Hour after hour, day after day, in order for one to become great. No matter one's craft, no matter matter what you do, 10,000 hours. For years, Gladwell made us believe that if anyone spent 10,000 hours at their chosen craft, they could achieve greatness. If one just spent a significant amount of time working hard on their craft, they would become great. Great! Malcolm Gladwell relied on research from a journal article written by three psychologists regarding a study of violinists and pianists. But there was one important aspect of this study which was not mentioned in the book. Mastery of one's craft depends on a good teacher. If you want to be excellent in your craft, one must also have a teacher who can recognize your weaknesses and then point you in the right direction to overcome those limitations? So the elements of greatness or being great are a good teacher, one's abilities, and practice. They're key to. They're the key ingredients to becoming great. All right. So let's let's bring this back to the new series we're doing and beginning today. How does one become great? At serving. As you can see on the screen, the tagline for our new series, the title slide is taken directly from the words of Jesus in Mark 10, 43. Whoever wants to become great must be a servant. All right, Let me, let me give you the context in which this passage of Jesus is recorded. Okay, so James and John, who are brothers, two of the twelve apostles have approached Jesus with their mother as we learn in Matthew. And they ask for positions of power in this new earthly kingdom, as they believe, Jesus has been speaking about. Their request, that one may sit on one side and one on the other in his new kingdom. When Jesus is seated on his throne in power, they desire to be placed one on his right and one on his left. In other words, they desired to occupy places of greatness above the other ten apostles. Now, to say the other ten were upset with their request, (laughs) that would be an understatement. The other apostles were indignant, offended, outraged. What makes James and John any more special than us? Should not we also have the opportunity for those seats? How dare they make such a request? Well, Jesus steps in the middle of this squabble and tells them that they are acting and thinking just like the world thinks. Here's what he says. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, Jesus turned the expectations of greatness on its head. In other words, he said, if you want to become great, at least this is what I get out of it, you must be a servant. And if you want to be first, you have to be a slave. And what is, it, what is he saying? He's saying, if you want to become great, you must give your life to the service of others. I mean, is that not what Jesus did? Did he not give his life in the service of others? And what if, what if all of us were eager to take up this challenge to become great? What if we believed the words of Jesus and the outcome of being a servant? And what if each of us actually spent 10,000 hours becoming great in his service, dedicating ourselves to an audience of one, our Heavenly Father? Would it change the dynamic of our church? Would it change the dynamic of our community? <laughs> I believe. It would. But James, 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 James. I Listen, I don't have the time on my schedule. I, I'm going from one activity to another. I'm overwhelmed in my work. I'm overwhelmed in my, with my children's activities and my grandchildren's needs. I have no margin in my life for this type of service. What you're asking is just way too much. If, if I add one more thing to my plate, I'm going to lose it. I'm frazzled and almost at my rope's end. I can't take any more. And besides, the more you keep talking, the guiltier I feel. Well, brothers and sisters, I'm sorry, I don't want you to feel guilty because I know most of us already do. I really don't want to make anyone feel guilty, but I see the words of Jesus and we can't ignore them, right? I see the words of Jesus, and I believe he's on to something here. Brothers and sisters, this is about a mindset of living which brings joy and satisfaction and and happiness. I see these words, and it sounds that if, if we buy into them, we can be part of making a difference in this world. And listen, listen, listen to me, please. I'm not talking about doing. It's not what this sermon's about. It's about being. This sermon series is not about doing more. It's about being different. It's not about adding more activities to one's packed schedule. It's about defining a mindset, which I believe we've lost. Over this past year, I've noticed something about us. We have turned inward. We think less of others and more of ourselves. And through the politics and the pandemic, the racial tensions in this world, our nation has turned inward. And Christ's church, which is to be a place of reconciliation and restoration out there, I believe it's lost its true calling. Others first. First. According to research, the American church church is directing their intense devotion they once reserved for their faith to politics. We are not for others as much as we are about ourselves, our agenda. And the church is suffering because of our new mantra. It's my way or the highway. I think back to the argument between the disciples of Jesus, this squabble James and John instigated, this heated argument between the apostles. And what is it over? I mean come on what what lies at the core of this upheaval? Is it not a selfish request for status and power and position? Is it not about what James and John and mom want? We want our way. And the other's response? You can't have it your way because this is not fair. It's just not fair. We want it our way. And back And forth it goes, back and forth. And Jesus interrupts their back and forth. And he called them all together. And he reminds them how this world works. Listen to this scripture. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Okay, so can you hear Jesus say, Look around, disciples. Just, just look around. Do you see how this world works? Look, look at the Gentiles. They have people in power over others, and in order to get what they need, they use this position of authority and power. And the one with more power is the one who has the upper hand. He's the one that usually ends up on top. What are the next words? come out of Jesus's mouth what are the next words but it shall not be so among you can we take a moment and just reflect on that little verse but it shall not be so among you these are the words of Jesus he has called his squabbling crew together and said not here not now not ever Okay, okay, maybe, maybe those are not his exact words. But, but I get the feeling. If I was standing there as an apostle, my teacher, my rabbi's words would have meant the same thing to me. Not here, not now, not ever. We are not going to act like this. And then he goes on. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave. Of all, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. As I said, being a servant is not an. This is not about an activity, but a mindset. It's not the number of activities performed, but a process of thought. It's a direction of life, an attitude which motivates us beyond beyond us. And this is not easy. All right, I have a couple of questions I would like us to consider. Here's the first one. Whose are you going to be? Whose are we going to be? See, the question deals with choosing an audience for our lives. It asks the question, who are we trying to please? My boss? My spouse? My children? My friends, my neighbors, my fellow workers, myself, maybe God? See, when the rubber hits the road and we must answer the question, whose are we going to be? Who am I choosing as my audience? Who are we choosing as our audience? I keep coming back to a couple of questions which have haunted me most of my life. Here's the question: what is the correct view of success in today's world and what is the correct view of greatness you might you might know what i'm talking about i mean are you with me i know for me i've had a screwed up view of success and I i can't speak for you but but i know i have operated on the premise that success has to do with my performance and the opinions of others. And So I spend a significant amount of my life pleasing the audiences around me. Anybody? I want to be liked. I want to be remembered. And if we're really honest with ourselves, most of us would love to leave a legacy that others would remember as well. And Jesus continues to ask the question, who Is your audience? Whose are you going to be? So, brothers and sisters, who is your audience? Jesus had an audience of one. He lived his life in service to his heavenly Father. All right, listen to these words of Jesus. So, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. And whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these He shall show Him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Is this not what Jesus desires of us? Are we not to give our lives to an audience of one like Jesus did? Are we not to reflect the image of the Son and the Father who are one? All right, listen to this verse. But the hour is coming and it's now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. In other words, we put God first. See, to become great demands dedication. To become great demands devotion. To become great, one must give their lives to a cause. To spend significant time, energy, and focus on an audience of one. If one desires greatness, Jesus says, begin with a different mindset. See, Jesus was developing servant leaders. He was developing a group of men who could take his message to the world. But, but, but it was going to be counterintuitive to the ways of the world. And the question we need to continually ask ourselves is, Whose am I going to be? Whose am I going to be? Okay, here's the second question I want you to just consider this morning. Who am I going to be? Now, remember, the first question, whose am I going to be, deals with the choosing the audience in our lives. The second question, though, who am I going to be, deals with one's life's purpose. In other words, what did the Lord put me on earth to do? What does God want me, want to do through me? I would make a wager that many of us are unaware as to our life's mission that God has planned for us. And if we are unaware of our life's purpose, many of us have a hard time surrendering our lives to the cause of Christ and fulfilling that purpose. And while some of us may be unaware, there are others who are unwilling to surrender all to him and live as he would have us to live. Why? Why? Because this demands a change in perspective. It demands sacrifice. It means putting God first. As I've said already, this is not about doing, but about becoming. And when we become, the doing comes naturally. When we get our heads, our hands, our habits, and our heart aligned with God, we can't help but fulfill the mission He has chosen for us. Each of us have been shaped with a unique identity. We have been appointed with talents and gifts. These are God-given gifts. And knowing these gifts helps us become aware as to who we are, how God has fashioned us into His image. This is why I encourage everyone to fill out our SHAPE survey. It's on our website, but you can see the QR code on the screen. All right, take a picture of it and then fill it out. Mike Coghill will send you the results and would love to speak to you as to your giftedness. And when these four dimensions of heart, head, hands, and habits are aligned, The frustration which many of us feel, it goes away. Why? (laughs) Because we know. We know our purpose and the direction of our lives. We know what God has created us to be. It frees us up. All right, let me give you the case for knowing one's God-given calling. It was only after many years in my ministry that I learned of my God-given mission And my God-given mission comes with a verse as well. And I would encourage you to seek a verse which describes your, your calling. Now, my verse is an unusual verse. It comes from 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. And this is Paul speaking. And he says this. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. All right, that's me. That's me. There's someone else in that verse, the someone else that has highlighted, that's me. My role is to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And yes, 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 I know, I know. It comes with a warning. I get that. But this is the God-given mission which aligns my heart, my head, my hands and my habits. I am a kingdom builder. I am a kingdom architect. And I'm not, listen, I'm not a youth minister, I'm not a worship leader, I'm not an outreach minister, I'm not a preacher. These are all things I have done or am doing to fulfill my God-given mission as a kingdom architect, a builder of God's kingdom. This is who I am and what I will be until the day I die. You know, brothers and sisters, there's, there's going to be a time, sometime in the distant future, I hope in the distant future, when I no longer will be the preacher at Lake Homa. And that doesn't scare me. It means another adventure, another way in which I will build the kingdom of God. Do I know what that looks like? not at all I have no clue but every transition is an opportunity to fulfill the mission God has chosen for me and what if what if what if what if we could all name our one thing what if we knew what God had called us to be how we are shaped the mission he has chosen for us And what if, what if all of us, each one of us, used our heart, our head, our hands, our habits to glorify an audience of one, our Heavenly Father? (laughs) The possibilities are unlimited. And if we actually fulfilled Jesus' words and lived out our lives as a mission-defined servant, do you think we could change this little corner of our world? Do you think the larger community of Mustang, Oklahoma would be blessed? Okay, here's my question, though. How bad do you want this? And how bad do I want this for me? Is glorifying God with the mission he has chosen for me, is that going to be a priority in my life? And remember, I'm not talking about doing. I'm talking about being. Over these next few weeks, we're going to explore... How to live as a mission-defined servant. This is not going to be a a series which takes us through a process of discovering our God-given mission or purpose. Now, Like I said, if you're you're seeking to define your God-given mission, I encourage you to get with Mike Coghill. And he can get you headed in the right direction. Now, this, this is about who we will be as servants and whose we will be as servants. Alright, let me remind you, I'm going to read it again, that our series verse, Mark ten forty three through 45 but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. When we're motivated by loving concern for others rather than our personal glory when when we are willing to pay the price and we're willing when we're willing to use our god-given mission our one thing for others unconditionally we're on the right track toward forming a community of servants now here are the five characteristics we're going to be discussing sacrifice empathy relationships values and empowerment, You know, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, forgot a crucial ingredient. Mastery of one's craft depends on a good teacher. Mastery of one's craft depends on a good teacher. All of us have great abilities and great skills. But to be great, one needs a teacher who can recognize our limitations and weaknesses and correct them. So here's my last question for the day. Who will be your teacher? Now this question kind of harks back to our Sermon on the Mount series. To whom will I listen? To whom will I follow? To whom will I allow to speak into my life? To whom will I serve? And here's what I know. Jesus desires to be our teacher. Jesus desires to be the master of our lives. All right, listen to this verse as we we close today. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master so whose are you going to be in other words who's who's going to be your audience and two, who who are you going to be so what's your life's purpose alright let's remember the words of Jesus John 14 verse 6 it's a favorite one of mine I am the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right, may God bless you this week. And don't forget to go out and be great. And if you don't know how to do that, tell you what, just begin with one act of kindness to a stranger. Blessings like Alma.